about uh, Rebecca Christopoulos, the sister. Uh, I understand. I talked to many just a little bit this afternoon. She said they attempted to take her off the ventilator. Uh, was unsuccessful. They had to put her right back on it. So uh, we want to continue to remember her. And I, I, I had her name down, but I've forgotten it. Grace. Okay. Well, people do that to us, right? Okay. Okay. So we certainly want to keep um, Grace and Rebecca and that family in our prayers. I, I talked to Sister Melissa back at the back, and our brother, uh, Doug Thompson, is at the airport ready to fly home in Saudi. So he's headed this way. We'll be back home tomorrow. We're really... Looking forward to his being back home. And our brother Alan, uh, if you will look right through there, well, you can't quite see him, but he's in there. He's in there teaching. So he's up tonight, and we're glad to see he's up and around too. No. And anything new on... So, good to hear from them. Uh, I know, I know that Troy and John are preparing uh, to go to the Philippines uh, next week. Next week, yeah, wow. So we want to kind of keep that that uh, in our minds and our prayers also. Uh, um, I, I kind of laughed at the, the guys back in the back because uh, here they're here tonight and their daddy's at school. So I thought that's kind of funny. <laughs> They're here home from school. Their dad's gone to school. Eddie is at school, of course, doing well. He's working on his master's degree, which gives me the opportunity to come in and speak to you all tonight, and I'm happy to do that. Our, our lesson comes from the seventh chapter of Esther, but before we actually get into that, uh, Brother Stan Spear is going to direct our minds in a word of prayer. In the seventh chapter, we see that, of course, it only has ten verses. Only ten verses in the seventh chapter, but you certainly understand very quickly what an integral role chapter seven plays with the entire story. Uh, the book of Esther, as we read through the book of Esther, it reads like a beautiful story that you just might pick up and read, a novel. But one of the things that we mentioned early on in our study is that the name God, God's name is not even mentioned one time in the book of Esther. However, we also pointed out that you, there is probably not another single book in, in, in either the Old Testament or the New Testament that you don't see the hand of God working directly in the plans of men. More than you do perhaps in the book of Esther. So as we, as we look at the lesson tonight and, 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 and Stan's prayer, he said that God, God works in our lives and he even prayed that he would use us to accomplish his will. And, and we see, of course, uh, God's will being accomplished in Esther, the seventh chapter. But it's interesting how that God accomplishes this plan. He goes, he accomplishes plan. In, in this chapter, we'll see uh, the king himself, Xerxes, becoming an instrument of God in accomplishing his plan. But we also see a man by the name of uh uh, down, down at the end of the chapter, I lost his name. 
part uh, yeah that that's what is it this in verse nine yeah there's Harbona. I looked all the way around it and didn't see the name so uh, and he's he happens to be one of the king's servants he's a eunuch and he's also going to play a key role in the in the chapter tonight so let's begin by just reading the chapter together and you've probably already done that and then we're going to come back and make application of the things that we see in this chapter how that we might uh, have a better understanding of how those things might fit into our lives today uh, I'm, I'm satisfied that God intends perfectly well that we receive something from the study of his word be it Old Testament or New Testament there are lessons for us to learn there are things that we can we can take out of that out of the books and we can apply it to our lives this very day. Esther chapter seven, beginning with verse one. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Up to half of the kingdom it shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male or female and female slaves, I would have had helped my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus, answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would dare to presume his heart to do such a, such a thing? And Esther said, The adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. And then the king arose uh, in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life. For he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. And when the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. And then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? And as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good of the king on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. And then the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows and they, and that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's wrath was subsided. Again, ten, ten short verses that kind of fill in the blanks as to what's happening in the story. Okay? Uh, just the first thing we notice is that uh, the, the interesting, and I, I don't know exactly how, why this happened, but if you'll turn back over to chapter 5, okay, uh, we, we read that in chapter 5 where that, uh, uh, back in verse, the first part says, uh, and so it was when the king saw Queen Esther stand in the court. Remember, she has gone to seek the king's uh, 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 to be in the presence of the king, but she had to be granted permission to do that. And he did that. And uh, it says the king held out the Hester the, to Hester the golden scepter. 
And and then she went in and she touched the top there. And the king says, what, what do you wish, Queen Esther? And she's, she said, at your request, it shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. So, the, I don't know, this tells me that the king certainly has a great love for his wife Esther. If he's, if he's number one, he's, he's going he's gonna to give her the audience, as well he should. But more than that, he said, whatever your request is, even if it's up to one half of the kingdom, Esther, it'll be yours. It'll be yours. So that was the promise in chapter 5. Chapter 7, he reenacts the same promise. So, as you recall, Esther said that what well, she just invited the king and Haman to a feast. And, and I think that takes place in what... Uh, uh, is it in the sixth chapter? Okay. Uh, so that's in the sixth chapter, but she still doesn't make her request known to the king. So she invites him to a, a, another night of the feast. Okay, and that's where chapter seven comes along. Uh, so they're they're in, they're dining with the queen, and and so finally she says he says, okay, queen, what is it that you requested? It's a simple, simple question, right? She she came before the king seeking something, and he says, "Now, what, what is it you want me to do for you?" And again, he says, "Up to half the kingdom, I will do exactly that." And I would I would imagine that whenever she tells the king uh, Xerxes what it is she wants, he is he is absolutely flabbergasted. She said, if I have found favor in verse 3 in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. I can only imagine what the king is thinking. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? He had, he had no remembrance or recollection of the petition that he had signed for Haman, right? And so uh, I'm sure Queen Esther goes on to tell him, she says, you know, uh, for we have been sold, me and my people, we're going to be destroyed and killed and violated. And at this point in time, the king probably still doesn't even know that she's Jewish. He still, he still doesn't even know probably at this point in time that she's Jewish. So he says, well, who, who has done this terrible thing to you? And then she points her finger at Haman. And she says, that wicked Haman is the one who's done this. I'm, I'm sure that there was probably some more words that were spoken than is recorded right here. Because I would imagine that she would probably explain to the king what all this meant and what all the, you know, what was going to take place and how this all happened. And so, uh, the queen is, the king is terribly upset. He leaves out of the room, walks out in the garden. I can think of, uh, imagine that he just goes out to, to clear his head maybe, to do, to clear his thoughts, just to go out there and to get some fresh air to try to you know, make sense of all this. Well, as it turns out, Haman stays in, in the presence of the queen and he's, he's begging for his life. He is absolutely you know, begging her to, say, to save him. Well, what, something happens as the king comes back into the room. Haman trips and falls across the couch where Queen Esther is. And the king, of course, interprets this as Haman is attacking the queen. He's attacking the queen. And he says, would you do that in my own house, under my own roof? He might have well said, under my own eyes, right? You would attack the queen in my presence? And so, of course, that's when Harbona uh, says, that, actually, the, the, it says in the last verse, it said, 
as the words came out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And then Harbona makes the suggestion and they follow through with that. Pretty simple story, right? So as we think about that, what are some things that we can gain and take a look at from this particular story? Number one, I think that we should think about uh, what what happens sometimes when we're angry. Okay? You know, and I think I think sometimes in our own lives, is, is we, if we ever get angry at people and upset at people, uh, that's probably a time for us to take a walk in the garden, right? Step away from it, get some fresh air before we actually say something. I have noted in my 68 years of living that sometimes if I'm angry and upset, I might say something that I later am going to regret. Have you ever found that to be the case? Yeah, I've heard it said that, you know, you put your foot in your mouth, right? Well, I think I've had both feet in my mouth up to my knees at the same time. Um, I have really done some boners, right, in my lifetime. So, you know, one of the lessons we ought to learn is that we ought to be think about what we're going to say, what we're going to do when we're angry, before we actually utter a word. We're going to look at some verses that talk about that very thing in God's Word in a few minutes. Um. I think another thing is, I think one of the lessons I learned from this is that the king really ought to be a little bit more careful about petitions that he signs. He he should have read the fine print, right? Isn't that what they said about contracts, Lonnie? You better read the fine print, right? Well, he didn't read the fine print because he didn't even realize, well, he didn't realize Esther was a Jew, nor did he realize Mordecai was a Jew. But he had signed that petition way back when that Haman had presented to him because Haman, you know, you remember the story how Mordecai wouldn't wouldn't bow to Haman. That upset him terribly. And so he comes up with a scheme to annihilate all, all the Jewish people in captivity. So, uh, and, and the king just signed it. Because he trusted Haman, right? Number, remember, Haman had been raised to what position in the kingdom? He was second only to the king. He was in the highest position you could be in. So the king trusted him and trusted him to make good decisions and things like that. And and so Haman basically slipped one over on the king, didn't he? Just puts the petition in front of him and the king says, well, if if these people are so bad, then maybe we should get rid of them. So he just signs the petition. What do we know about petitions that the king signed? They could, it could not be unsigned, could they, Morris, right? Once the king puts his seal on it, it, it becomes law. Not even the king himself could undo the law. All right, so it looks like we have a dilemma now, right? Because the king has signed the law to eliminate the Jewish people. Now he finds out that his own wife is a Jew and that she too is going to be killed with this, with this petition. So it kind of makes you wonder, what is chapter 8 going to talk about? How are we going to get out of this mess, right? Chapter 8 and chapter 9. Well, I will just tell you in chapter 10 you have to wait, okay? We have to wait till that unveils itself. All right, so let's look at some application. There are times when evil people need to be exposed. When you stop and think about that, you know, there, there are times when evil people need to be pointed out. And, of course, Esther does exactly that with Haman, right? She says, he's the man. He's the man. You'll remember back uh, whenever uh, 
I think it was David when he was king, right? And he has uh, Bathsheba's husband murdered, basically, right? And the prophet comes to David. And what, what does the prophet say to David? You're the man. You're the man. David had done wrong. He had done evil. And that needed to be pointed out. Haman had done wrong. And that needed to be pointed out too. This situation is not... This whole situation, if you stop and think about it, this is not a small matter. To, to, to Esther, I mean, Esther says, look, king, if it was just a, a, a deal where where the, the, the men and the women were sold into slavery, I wouldn't have said anything. I wouldn't have said a word. But but that's not the case. The case is we're going to be annihilated. We're going to be killed. And so this was not just a petty little disagreement that could be overlooked. This was a matter of right and wrong. Good versus evil. And it was right for Esther to do exactly what she did. So I, I like... You know, what Mordecai had said to her in, a, in an earlier chapter, when he said, you know, if, if you don't, if you don't take this to the king and let him know what's going to happen, then he said, probably another way will be found. But who knows but what you were called to this position at this point in time to do exactly this. This is the way, even though he doesn't say it, I, I think he could have very well said, this is the way you can serve your God right here even though he doesn't say that. So, there are times when certain people need to be left alone. I want to I look at a couple of verses here. We do not always have to be involved, we don't always have to involve ourselves in the affairs of other people. So, let me get a couple of readers. Uh, uh, Lonnie, would you look up 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 11? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 11. Uh, Larry, would you look up 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13? 1 Timothy 5, verse 13. And, and uh, one more. Dana, would you look up 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15? Okay? Now, now keep this thing in mind. The, the thought is this. Do, do we always need to get involved in every situation that comes about? Or is there a time when maybe we should just kind of step back and not say anything? So, the first reading from... 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 3, verse 11. Okay, so, uh, it, it, you know, there, there, there are people who don't involve them in stuff and they're just busybodies, okay? They're, and they get themselves in trouble by getting into everybody's business. And also, First Timothy chapter five, verse thirteen. Okay, so once again, uh, you know, people who find themselves in the middle of every single thing that goes around, they want to be right there and get their two cents in, and sometimes that does nothing more than just stir up problems uh, in in the workplace at schools, in our homes, in the church. Okay? And finally, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 15. I mean, yeah. I can't read either, so... Yeah. Okay? Alright. So, there's, there's going to be a time when we as God's children are going to suffer. 
But if that's the case, Peter says, if you suffer, you only suffer for doing something good, right? Not for being a busybody or causing problems in the church. That's A lot of people suffer when those things take place in the church. But if we suffer, we only suffer because we're doing the right thing and doing good things. There are also times when keeping silent is not an option. When we need to come out and speak against things that are happening. So, Nathan, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Ephesians 5, verse 11. Uh, let's see, who else can I pick on tonight? Uh, Todd, could you look up Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18? Romans 16, 17 and 18. Uh, and then, um, Janice, would you look up 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 20? That's not all the verses, but we're just not going to have time to hit all the verses. Okay. So the, the thought is here, are, there are times when it's, it's not a good idea to keep silent. There are times when things are going on in the, in the church. There are times when things are going on at work when we have to speak up. We have to speak up. So let's read Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11. But rather reprove them. Those things that are going on that are, that are bad, that are evil, they need to be exposed and they should be corrected and reproved. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Okay, so... Here, here's someone who's causing problems in the church, right? Uh, uh, can we just be silent about that? If they're, if they're doing things and, and saying things that are going to split the brotherhood, that are going to split the church, those things have to be exposed. Those have to be exposed when that's taking place. Finally, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. Okay. So the idea is, of course, if, if you know, we've heard the expression, one bad apple in a barrel can what? Can ruin the whole barrel, right? So if we allow sin to go on in the church and we don't expose it, what could it do to the entire church? It could create problems for the whole, for the whole church, right? So it has to be exposed. Uh, the, but how should we do that? Uh, how should we go about correcting an evil like that in the church? Evil should always be done... A correcting of evil or exposing evil should always be done with what? Humility, right? With humility. Never with pride or with arrogance. Let's look at a couple of verses. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Colossians 4 and verse 6. Um, Anna, would you, would you read that for us, please? Morris, would you read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24, 25, and 26? All right. So, the thought is, whenever evil is exposed, what is the position that we as God's children should take? We should do it with humility, right? So, Colossians 4, verse 6. So, let our conversation, how, how should it be seasoned with what? With salt, right? So, we should speak softly. We should, be, we should use a lot of humility and correcting people because what's the whole point? 
Is, is the point to drive them away from the church? Or is the point to bring them back into the church? And help them, that's the point, right? So we can't do that if we're using harsh words and we're, we're, we're being mean-spirited, right? So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24, 25, and 26, Morris. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, one of the things we learned from verse 6, it's not wrong to call evil, evil. It's, if, if that's what it is, let's don't mince words about it, right? We've, we've, uh, we stop and think about kind of what's going on uh, in, in our 21st century today, right? Uh, concerning abortion. We, we, don't, we don't want to talk about abortion. We want to talk about health care for women. We want to soften that, right? We don't want to talk about a lie. We talk about a soft, uh, a white lie, right? We, we've already changed the colors of lies. We've black lies and white lies, right? Um, another thing, uh, you don't hear uh, adultery called adultery. It's an affair. A person has an affair, right? Cheating is, is gamesmanship, okay? So we lessen their impact on our, on our conscience by changing the words. But, it, you know, it's not wrong to call evil, evil, right? In, in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, in Isaiah, in the, in, uh, Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, I should have probably looked this up. We read, uh, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So, if, if it's evil, we just need to call it evil. Just like Esther did when the king said, well, who has, who has done this to you? Who has done this to your people? And she said, it's that evil man, Haman. He's done it. Okay. Uh, there was no justification for what Haman had done. And his sin had caught up with him. The same is true with us today. Our sins will catch up with us. If not in this lifetime... It's definitely going to catch up with us at judgment, right? So let's look at a couple of verses that point that out. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, back in the Old Testament. Numbers 32, chapter, verse 23. Chapter 32, verse 23. But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord. Be sure your sin will find you out. And from, from the New Testament, a, a book that we just recently studied from the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Uh, do, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in with all uh, in which all who are in the grave will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Our sins will definitely find us out. If, 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 we, can, if we sneak them through this lifetime, we're not going to get them past God. 
They will come to light at that particular time. Uh, another lesson we might can learn from this is from this particular reading is appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. Remember, whenever the king walks back into the room from the garden and he sees Haman who's actually fallen across the couch, he says, "What? You're attacking my queen! You're attacking my queen!" And that isn't what happened at all. You know what had happened was he probably he was he was pleading for his life, he's begging for his life, and maybe he just stumbled and fell. So, uh, sometimes we look at what's happening and we don't get all the facts as to what's going on. We must always be careful not to jump to conclusions, especially if we are angry. And I, I think we talked about that earlier. When we are angry, we need to kind of step, take a step back. Take a look to be sure we understand all that's going on, that we have all the facts, and, and then uh, even think about and even pray about what we need to say and do about it. Okay? If something uh, looks amiss at first, let us be sure to get the facts before we do something that we will later regret. And sometimes, like I said, if we if we speak uh, before we've prayed about it, if we speak before we've taken that walk in the garden, uh, and while we're angry, we, we might very well be very sorry for the words that we said. I tell, I teach a lot a lot of classes on communication where I work, and I I tell people, you know. You might say something to hurt someone's feelings or that something's wrong, and then you can apologize for that. But the one thing you can't do is take the words back. You know, once they're out there, they're out there. The person may even forgive you, but they're probably not going to forget what you said. And those things can come back to haunt you down the road. Let's take a look at one other example, actually from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 22. And uh, you, you might remember this story. I'm just going to kind of, we're not going to read this. Verses 10 through 34, I'm going to kind of relate the story to you. And, 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 and then I'm sure that you'll remember it. You remember when the, the Israelites are leaving uh, uh, the promised land, uh, not the promised land, they're leaving Egypt going towards the promised land. And, and then the land's going to be divided, remember? And there was two and a half tribes that were on one side of the Jordan and Ten and a half tribes were on the ten and a half, nine and a half tribes. My math's not all that good either, right? On the other side of the Jordan, right? Remember what the tribes on the two and a half side uh, did? Built, they built an altar. Remember that? They built an altar, and 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 so the the Israel, the nine and a half tribes on the other side, saw the altar, or heard about the altar was being built. And, and if you go back and read the story, it says that they were prepared to go to war against their brethren because they built this altar. So their supposition was what? Why would they build an altar? Well, they thought they built an altar to, to, to sacrifice on, to offer their sacrifices on. And that's what they supposed was going to happen. And so they were going to go to war against their brethren. So they sent Phineas over there with a group of men to talk to them and kind of figure out what's going on before they went to war. And then the people, the two and a half tribes, says, wait, wait a minute. You, you totally misunderstand why we built the altar. It said, we built the altar so that our people would not forget to worship God. Our people would not forget the good things that God has done for us. It would remind us, even though we're across the Jordan from you guys and away from our brothers, it will remind us of our God and our service to God. And so once this is disclosed, and Phineas hears this, 
he of course takes the news back to the nine and a half tribes and and then it says of course that kind of pacified everything they they didn't they didn't go to war against the brethren so uh when the transjordan tribes set up a memorial altar to god the other tribes jumped to the unwarranted conclusion that they had built an altar in honor of some other god they thought they were going to worship maybe a false god and the result was almost a civil war but when an investigation was conducted all the fears were eliminated or alleviated so you know so once again sometimes we can see something that's taking place and we can make it a decision or an estimation in our own mind about what that is and sometimes we can be wrong sometimes we can be wrong uh in my communication classes i i i talk to people about what uh, what a person might do if they're angry what would they look like what would their facial expressions be what would their words perhaps be but at the same time what what if the person was not angry but they were anxious D- did you realize that a person who is angry and a person who is anxious could do very much the same thing look very much the same way and say some of the same things but those are two very different things right being angry and being anxious are two very very different things so in our communication classes we tell people look you need to you need to make contact in other words you need to talk to the person let the person know what you've seen and try to get a clear understanding did what i see is that really what took place or am i misunderstanding what i'm seeing okay so we say you make the contact and then you kind of discover the source what's driving the behavior if it's anxious what's driving the behavior if it's anger what's driving the behavior and the final step to a good communicator is someone who will uh, help someone come up with a plan to figure out how to do something about it right we call it in our simple language we call it assisting with an action plan i know that's pretty simple but that's really uh, that's really a good method for us to resolve differences and problems with people is being becoming becoming better communicators uh yes Mm-hmm. Where have you been? What I was pacing the floor. But the parents' real emotion is they were fearful. They were fearful. Something happened to that teenager. Yeah. But it comes out as anger, and I think that's something you were saying. Yeah. I, I yeah. You know, we all t- we all tend to be a little bit fearful of things that we don't know. And and sometimes that that fear of the unknown will cause us sometimes to strike out in anger. I I think a little bit about now probably not supposed to do this but I'm going to do it anyway. I think about the 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 political atmosphere of today. Listen folks, we have elected a new president, okay? But look at what is going on with people who were against it, okay? All those all the accusations, the false accusations and stuff like that that are going on. Uh and and, and I just think, you know what? this this guy's the president and we as Christians what are we told to do we're supposed to support and pray for him we're honor those who are over us right and so sometimes i think our country needs to get a grip on that right that that just you know he he is the president he is the president so 
let's get with the program and try to make things work. Okay. Uh, any thoughts or concerns, questions, comments about tonight's lesson? Well, once again, ten simple verses, but they teach some very, very powerful points that we can incorporate into our daily living. And, and um, again, we need to find out how the story ends, right? Well, you can go home and read those chapters tonight, eight, uh, eight, nine, and ten, and you can find out. Or you can just come back next Wednesday night, and Eddie will tell you what happens in chapter eight. Yes. That is that is absolutely true. You know, you don't read but just a, a, a chapter before, two chapters before Stan, where Haman is is all puffed up and proud because he is the, the man right under the king, right? And now he's been recognized by the queen in a special banquet too, right? And he's all puffed up about that. And how quickly that all came to an end. You, you got a good point, yeah. Life can change. Uh, life can change very quickly. I tell people all the time, life has got some very, very interesting twists and turns sometimes. Just when you think you've got it all figured out, something's going to change. Well, the classes are coming back in. Thank you for being here tonight. And again, Eddie will be with us next Wednesday night.